Okay, so boom. You finally realize the power of emails and owning your own data. So you create a newsletter and get a landing page fired up. You send out your first email and bloop, it's in the promotions folder. Unless you're an e-commerce company, I'm sorry to tell you, but the promotion folder is not going to help you. This is why you should get ConvertKit. ConvertKit specializes in keeping your email in the primary folder so you can increase your open rates and communicate with your audience. They also have beautifully designed landing pages and squeeze pages for you to capture more emails. I personally love the fact that they have good support. Support for me is everything. If I have a problem, I need to know I can get someone on the line or have a video that answers all of my questions. Hustlers don't give up. They say, yo, let me figure this out. I figured out with ConvertKit. And that's not the show. Hello and welcome to the Hustle Over Everything podcast. This is the podcast where you receive stories, tips, and strategies from entrepreneurs who've done it to grow your business and take yourself to the next level as a person. Later on today in the podcast, we have Lindsay. She is the founder of Jive PR, a PR social and digital agency. She was named as one of Canada's most powerful women in the financial post. But oh man, how you doing, bro? Man, you already know what it is. This is, uh, we're about to go to Sarnia after this weekend. So guys, by the time you're hearing this, First and foremost, we just want to say happy holidays. This is coming out after Christmas. I know you're all eating good. You're drinking good, uh, spending time with your family. Uh, right now, I'm in Sarnia. By the time you're hitting press, uh, you're hitting play on this podcast. So at this time of the day in Sarnia, I'll be like overstuffed. You know, my mom and auntie, they're just cooking lots and lots of food. Probably had a big brunch, uh, lots to drink. But uh, yeah, that's how I do Christmas, bro. I live large, bro. How about you, bro? How are you doing? Like, wh- what are your plans uh, for the holidays? Man, you know, um, usually we'd be like a big family mm-hmm. gathering, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the whole Jamaican family comes together. But of course, because of the current times, you know, keeping it very simple. You yes. know, I'm just in my current family and my, my girl. So we're having a little, small, very small gathering mm-hmm. um, together and... Uh, you're gonna be eating, drinking. I'm gonna be the only guy. Damn. So well, it's your girl, your mom, your girl's mom, and your girl's mom's friend. That's it. That's yeah, a lot man. of pressure, bro. Man, pressure makes pressure. Diamonds. Pressure makes diamonds. Yeah. You know the thing is about that is just like you're like looked up to to do the a lot of the tasks. Like you're the man of the house, mm-hmm. right? You're. I don't know if you're gonna be barbecuing. Cause your mom, your mom's crib. Mm-hmm. Uh, nah, my barbecuing. You know, barbecuing. No, barbecue. You barbecue? Yeah, we barbecue in the winter, bro. We find any excuse to barbecue. Like yeah, my yeah. uncle, he's a barbecue connoisseur. Yeah, I was actually thinking. I was actually seeing. Uh, there's like this meme. You know, when like a guy, if you're seeing a guy barbecue and he has the black glove, mm-hmm. you know this guy can like throw down some proper meat on the grill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the he's like one of the, and the Jesus sandals. The Jesus sandal, the Jesus, Jesus ones, bro. For sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> most definitely yeah man so uh great holidays great year to end a wild year man mm-hmm. you know corona everything that's happened it just feels like this year has been just full full of uh, this is a, one of those years you cannot predict like the next day At think all. about that like we're living tomorrow like yo next thing you know rob ford's coming out hey guys you rob know ford? You mean doug ford, doug ford. Yes. Doug ford. R. I. P. 
Rob Ford, but Doug Ford comes out and says, hey, another lockdown extension for mm-hmm. February, March. I didn't tell you this. Um, I actually almost had like a mental breakdown because I was in Oshawa visiting my mom yesterday and I saw Michael's open and I was like, hold on, what? Michael's was open? Michael's, was but like, isn't the, the zoning of like, yes. uh, okay, let, let you explain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what happened. So I was looking at it and I was like, Michael's is open. What? Wow, is Michael's? I, I got so mad. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I, made it, I was literally about to write a t- Twitter tirade and like this go crazy. And then you like, remember oh, yeah. like, oh yeah, like the zoning, the zones. The zones. But does that make sense to you? Mm. Man. If I if we can go get a haircut in Vaughn, but it's the same GTA area, yeah, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. The the you can literally get there on on subway. It's the mm-hmm. one subway ride, and you're still there. Get out Vaughn Station, mm-hmm. and yeah, you're right there. So it's it's unfortunate. It's a weird way of policing. It's new, you know. Mm-hmm. When people are trying to uh, politic on new scenarios, mm-hmm. there's so much room for error yeah and we're seeing these errors in real time you know um so it's really affecting our businesses um and yeah i man. actually saw um on tv the other day yeah actually yesterday a woman opened her her store to sell toys and she was just like hey listen like why are why is walmart open you know you know you mentioned last time on the podcast that walmart's actually not allowed to sell anything else other than groceries mm-hmm. they're actually still selling those items yeah. Even Costco, like so, people are like okay, why are we doing this? And these guys are open. It's so unfair. Um, it's just unfair. That's what I think, and um, something needs to be changed about it. I completely agree. I completely agree. It's not right that uh, the Walmart and Costco can buy, um, can sell clothes. Yeah. I was at Joe Fresh the other day. Joe Fresh, the superstore, yeah. and I was in Joe Fresh. And there's a ten- not only is Joe Fresh open in superstore, mm-hmm. but there's also an attendant in in the Joe Fresh section. What do you mean an attendant? Like like an actual supervisor in the Joe Fresh. Oh, so you can actually, you, so you can't, you can't go in. No, it's, you can, you can, you can go in, and there's someone actually working as an attendant in the Joe Fresh section. Oh, that's different. Yeah. So yeah. so that means that because before it used to be like this. Hey, this is a little Joe Fresh on the side, but mm-hmm. now there's an actual attendant there, mm-hmm. as in like the the business is is still thriving mm-hmm. in in this segment. So this like, is in Oshawa. This was an oh yeah, this is an option. Oh, okay, that so makes sense. It's, it's, it's a little bit different. It's yeah. a little bit different. So scratch that, scratch that, scratch that. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, man, let's hop into the business tip of the week. You ready? Let's for hop it? into that, bro. What awesome, you got man. cooked up, bro? Awesome. So this week, I want to talk about Facebook ads. Um, because one thing I want to mention real quick, um, Google and Facebook are at odds. So is Apple. Mm-hmm. So I actually posted this on our. Instagram at 247Hustler. If you're not following us, make sure you follow us on Instagram at 247Hustler. Um, that's at 247Hustler. Mm-hmm. They are taking steps to remove third-party um, cookies from their website. Safari's actually already removed third-party um, pixels, cookies from their websites. Mm-hmm. So Facebook can't really retarget people. On Safari? Uh, on Safari. Same with Mozilla Firefox. Mm-hmm. Google Chrome is the biggest user right now. So once Google takes off the cookie, Facebook's in trouble. So right now is a time to take advantage of your Facebook ads. So if you haven't already, um, uh, I've already done a workshop on it and feel free to message me about um, Facebook ads. I'm happy to walk you through if you're a new business starting up and want to leverage it as your marketing um, tactic or strategy. But one thing I want to talk about is audiences. You know, a lot of times people have a trouble 
finding the right audience. So one thing you can do is use audience insights. Mm. Audience insights is a great tool on Facebook where you can actually dive into who your audience is and, and research what the audience is actually looking at. So you can create a detailed targeting um, factor to focus on. One thing that I want to mention specifically is to only use one to maximum two um, audiences to use. Mm. This way, you can actually see what's working. If you use four, five, six, seven, then you, you don't have the granularity of knowing, hey, this audience works better than that audience. Mm. Um, so that's one thing I really want to focus on for you guys. Use audiences wisely. If you have an email list, you can turn that into an audience on Facebook. Mm-hmm. If you have um, an Instagram page, you can turn that into an audience on Facebook. And if you have a website and a shopping channel that's already been in use, you can target people who've already bought and target them on Facebook. I like using people who, who shop. Lastly, last tip, when you're creating your audience, leverage the behavioristic traits of engaged shoppers. Mm-hmm. I like people who buy. Mm-hmm. Don't you like people who buy? Absolutely, man. They're easy to target. Exactly. So um, when you're creating a Facebook ads going forward in 2021, make sure you are leveraging the engaged shopper um, behavior trend on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So that's it for my business tip of the week. Keeping it very simple. Um, It's a quick tactic to use as you're marketing. And yeah, that wraps it up. That wraps it up, man. Um, Yo, these uh, Manhattans that we're drinking are, are hitting. And, uh, you know, for us, it, it, this is our Christmas today. Yeah. You know, so we can, we can have, a, have a little sip today. So shout out to sip, sip, man. Exactly. Shout out to you, man, because you, you've been chefing. You're a bartender at heart. I know Bro, you are. I am. I love bartending. Like, guys, I, I mean, I have a bar cart on my place now. So I've been mixing drinks, reading about bartending, learning about different ryes, whiskeys, Irish whiskeys, scotches, you know, the different type of grains. You know, I'm becoming a beverage connoisseur and this is something totally different that i'm doing just to build up my you know an extra hobby that i don't know other than business because that's all i do and podcasting so now i'm done playing basketball competitively like you know it's cold out i can't hoop so let me pick up something new so bartending is that so every time someone comes over i make them a great drink alex has been one of my uh friends who i've been you know giving drinks for him to try and so far he's been happy so that that's good reinforcement yes i'm happy to be a <coughs> test dummy yeah, exactly Not you know uh, mixing it up and you're getting the bar quality type of uh, beverage when you come to my residence but guys as we wrap up the year you know what time it is we're about to go into 2021 a year full of possibilities a year full of prosperity of wealth coming to all of us happiness you know we've gone through such a tumultuous year that if we've gone through this the other side is going to look up you know the world works in polarity there's the good and the bad there's the heat and the cold there's the sun there's the rain there's the man and the woman and whenever you go through the bad you always are going to see the good eventually and uh, i am speaking it to existence that 2021 is going to be one of those years so now what is a hustle nation tip of the week the last one on he on week 52 of december 2020 and that is fail often so 
I got inspired by this because Alex and I are really trying to create a great production, a great listening experience for all of you so you can consume our content from the video that you see on YouTube and Instagram to the audio that you're going to be listening to while you're at work or you're on the TTC or whatever subway system or transit system you're using in the world. You want to we want to provide you that great quality experience that you could consume. And right now, there's in business, you have a lot of external variables that you can't control. A, we want an editor. B, we want to have a quality video, but there's time, there's money. So we're trying different things. And Alex came up with a great idea. Hey, how about we try a three-way call with Zoom so we can have like the alternating camera angles? That didn't work. So now we're going to figure out something else. And this is the key to winning in business is you can't be afraid to try new things. You can't be afraid to attempt something that is so out of the box but you have to push yourself because the more you push yourself the closer you are to getting the answer um, we're close to that breakthrough you know something is going to come up as i always talk about the universe is going to give you signs and synchronicities which align to your purpose and we're waiting for that and we're getting close and we're feeling that so whatever your business is fail often fail fast don't be afraid to try things because the more you fail these failures become visceral, meaning that they become a part of you and you know not to do them again. And then once you get the right answer, no one can take that away from you. You find out your own perfect way to do it, your own unique way to do it. And that's the way to, to do things because the success is there for you. You just have to find the answers. And it goes back to a video we posted on our Instagram by Pat Flynn. You know, when you're going through the path of entrepreneurship, it's it's a lot of zigzags. It's a lot of lines. It's going up. It's going down. But then you hit something and then you hit that like hockey stick growth, which you're like rising to the moon. So this is the year of rising to the moon. So as we come into this new year, we've been hit with a lot of different difficulties and we're trying to pivot. But I think within the pivot, within the the downtimes, that's where the genius happens. That's where the signs of opportunities come along and you follow those and you're going to win. So, guys, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We're going to do it big in 2021. We can't keep we can't wait to keep giving you this awesome content, this awesome podcast. And uh, we're going to give you more. And uh, we're here to give. We're here to give and we're here to build with you and create this community. And thank you so much for riding with us this year. We really appreciate it. And uh, I, I don't know how else to express this, but uh, it's been a blessing so far for you to ride with us this past year. And we can't wait to see what 2021 brings us. And we can't see what 21 brings for all of you guys, you know, as you're sharing with your successes. So, guys, that is a Hustle Nation tip of the week. Fail fast, fail often, because that's the only way to succeed. And that's the tip of the week, guys. Al, any more to add? Uh, actually, I do. Yeah? Um, one thing that stuck out to me, um, I was been wa- I've been watching some Pharrell interviews. And one thing he said that was really ex- stood out to me was that uh, Prince actually denied working with him. You know? Prince denied working with Pharrell? Pharrell. Why? He made front for Prince. He made front for... No way, you're lying. I swear to God, the interview's out right now. So I seen the link after. And I was like, wow. Like, Think about that. Like, You know, I realized that rejection is just part of the game. Yes, this is know? a good thing. And yeah. um, if you were to focus on the amount of rejections you get and not moving forward, you would be failing. Mm-hmm. You know, not failing in terms of like, um, like what you're talking about in terms of just like uh, not accounting for where you're going, mm-hmm. but you would actually be stunting your own self. You'd be getting in your own way, is what I mean. So 
One thing I just wanted to mention is, you know, embrace rejection. Rejection yeah. is a part of the process. Hearing that Pharrell Williams is getting rejected. He got rejected by Michael Jackson as well. And at some of the songs that he made um, for Justin Timberlake are actually made for Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Wow. You know, so like, just imagine if he was to throw away those songs like, oh, well, no one likes him. So mm-hmm. I guess they're trash. You know, everything has a moment, so you can't let rejection get in your way. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I want to add. Yeah, and um, yeah, you know, rejection is part of the business, and if um, you gotta you gotta learn to take those rejections because it actually toughens you up along the journey. For sure. And they just get you, you. You gotta see that rejection as a step closer to the yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into our podcast with Lindsay. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, y'all. Peace. Yes. Hey, what's up, guys? To support the show for free, here are some main options. If you're on Apple, make sure you rate and write a review of our podcast. This makes a huge difference and helps support the show. If you're on Spotify, follow us. If you're on Google Play, subscribe and auto-download so you'll be notified and have a fresh pod ready to go when we drop. Lastly, make sure you share the podcast on Instagram or whichever social platform you use and tag us. On Twitter, we're at 247Hustlers. On Instagram, we're at 247Hustler. And on Facebook, we're Hustle Over Everything. And now, guys, got to pay attention to this point. We just dropped a new newsletter. It's called The Underrated. It's a weekly newsletter that breaks down untold stories that highlight game-changing business strategies that shape our sports music and culture it drops once a week on mondays early in the morning to prep you for the week so subscribe to that and we'll see you in the pod Lindsay, welcome to the show how are you thank you i'm doing good guys how are you doing I cannot, I, I'm fantastic. <laughs> Love. There's an interesting story behind that. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned on the, on the previous podcast where, um, you know, uh, we were told to always say fantastic if we're doing good and never be like, hey, I'm doing okay. You just dampens the mood. It's like, hey, I'm fantastic. I'm ready to work. You know, it's, it's a way to talk to clients. It's, it's, it's and people. the energy. That's what, you, that's what you want, right? Set the it's, tone and then everyone will rise to that. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, Lindsay, thank you so much for hopping on the show. Um, I can't wait to get into your story. Start things off, I have a little bit of an icebreaker for you. You have two, you know, a softball and something a little tougher. Um, one is, what do, um, what's one thing the public does not know about you? Oh, my goodness. What's one thing the public does not know about me? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I use this as the, you know, when I get asked certain questions with certain groups of people, it's like, what, what's something that you've done people would never know is that when I lived in India and I did my stint there, I ended up being um, an extra in a lot of different things, even though that's not my background whatsoever. I'm a, I'm a behind the camera kind of person, mm-hmm. um, but I'm in a lot of different Bollywood MTV shows actually, because they were doing a relocalization of content with the production company I was working for. So um, a very weird claim to fame, cameo background type thing that I guess I don't really talk about very often. Uh, is there anyone that comes to mind that we should uh, look up and be like, hey, I, I was in this one. pronounce them anymore. It's, it, it would be in Hindi, the show titles. Um, mm. 
Yeah, I know. I'm sure they live on on YouTube somewhere. <laughs> um, how long were you there for? Uh, I was there for two years. Oh, wow. So did you actually learn the language? Uh, like enough to get by. So I, like, I always say like Toda Toda, which means I speak a little bit, like a little bit little of Hindi. And so in a rickshaw, I could get around, I could order vegetables, mm -hmm. uh, but I couldn't, you know, hold an entire conversation. Got was it. that was that like a culture shock to you? Like talk about the when you first landed there, how did you navigate the just the environment of living in India coming from North America? Oh, such a culture shock. It's um, you know, when I landed, it was interesting. I landed, it was like three in the morning. Um, I didn't know anyone, a friend of a friend from university had was pick, picked me up at the airport, was taking me back to his house so I could stay there because, you know, he was like my landing pad into India. Um, and it's just, it's like an assault on the senses in a really good way too, right? Because there's just so much vibrancy there and colors. And then obviously on the different side of what we're used to in North America, there's so much poverty, but in the poverty, there's so much passion. So it's this, you can't even, you know, you can't even look at it and say, oh, it's so sad because it's, it's not sad. It's 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 a it's a way of life, and they they embrace it. And um, yeah, it's just like words can't express what that is like for the first time, um, landing there and knowing you're going to be there for for a long time. And um, but just the beauty that's in it as well. I think it's like really like you don't live until you get to immerse yourself in a culture. And I'm not talking about just visiting on holiday. Like actually living there, doing the day-to-day -day of how they do. Um, and yeah, it's wild. Yeah, that's, that's insane. Yeah, um, I, I know what you talk about, yeah. I mean, growing up in Nairobi, I've seen it, um, how it's like to live in impoverished neighborhoods, right? And from the outside looking in, you might think like, wow, what a disaster this is. But, you know, when you actually get to talk to the people, like this is their life, this is what they know. They haven't seen the the other beauty of, let's say, like a Canada or uh, United States where there's an actual structure in these, these big cities uh, and et cetera. Like they found happiness in their situation. And when you look say, hey, do you need help? I was like, what do you mean? I, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm living. I'm, I'm happy. I'm... So it's just like a different perspective once you've seen like what's available here and then you go there and then you see what makes happiness. It's the happiness is what you make it and you know i think relating to that that's what i found out as well is like being on the other side as well and growing up around that it's happiness is what you make it yeah and i would argue that in some ways i think they're a lot happier people that i met there than people that i know here in north america because they have such a strong community tie mm -hmm. um so I mean, I guess it's all relative to what people define as happiness. Like, yeah, Canada, North America, maybe it's you know structure and uh, and wealth, but there it's community connection. Um, yeah, so I guess it just it really depends on how you're defining it. Um, yeah, a huge conversation in that we could go into it for for oh, for, a for sure, most definitely. So, um, but one thing that's most important about it is that you leveraged your time in India to start your agency. Am I right? No, when I was in India, I was working for a Bollywood uh, production company for the, mm -hmm. for the whole time I was there. And then when I moved back, I moved back to Canada after India, and then that's when I started the agency. And we did some 
worked back and forth with with different connections that I had in India, but the actual agency was started once I came back to North America. Gotcha, gotcha. That's what I was referring to. That you made the connection once you're in Canada, and you're leveraging that connection to start your agency. So, like, what was the agency centered around when you were just starting? Entertainment. So, because I came like when I was in in London in the UK, I was working for E Entertainment, which is a television network, and then in mm. India, it was for. Um, the Bollywood company and they did film and TV. So entertainment was really my background on the on the marketing side of things. And then when I came back to North America and in Canada specifically, I just I started in the entertainment thing because that is that's what I knew. Um, and so then and then grew everything from there. What what was the insight to start the agency? I mean, there's a lot of agencies that exist, but uh, you um, predominantly go into more of the storytelling side of your agency that's one of your core competencies like starting out what gave you that insight that you know what there's a new fresh approach what was that first thought that you had that you're like aha like i think this is the best i think we need to do this i wish i could pretend that i was so strategic and had foresight and was like oh here's the gap in the market and this is what i need to fill. Yeah. i couldn't get a job so when i moved back to, to north america because i've been abroad for six years just every time I was applying for something, they were saying that my international experience wasn't relevant. They wanted me to have local experience. And so I couldn't get a job. So the agency was really born out of, I just like needed something to do and I needed to make some money. So I started doing um, contracts and, and project work. And then from there, as I started doing that, I just word of mouth kicked in and I kept more people kept on bringing contracts and more people wanted to hire me for this. And um, at that point, that's when I decided to find a business partner who who understood agency and was training that because I had no training or background in in PR or agency that just that, that wasn't the world that I came from. Um, so it was really by, I don't know if it's desperation or default or accident. Necessity. Yeah, necessity. It wasn't. Yeah, there was no strategic business plan put in place before I started the agency got you so once you started the agency um who what was the, the I guess niche you were serving was it, so you said it was entertainment industry so how did you start growing it was it word of mouth um was it actually you having a sales team like how did you start growing your business yeah, all word of mouth. So it was, um, and I'd say like we've had, I've had the agency now for 11 years and it's been word of mouth up until the last year or so when we finally just started doing some of our own thought leadership and, and paid and, and PR. Um, entertainment was the first vertical that we served just because of my background. And then um, when I met my business partner at that time, her background was in brand. And so then we started serving brand as well. And then we became just really well known as that, you know, we were the entertainment and the brand agency. And so we serviced everything starting in PR and, and then, you know, quickly pivoted to, to social media. Virgin was one of our big accounts in Canada and we helped launch Facebook, when Facebook was launching for business, um, Twitter, you know, we brought them into the social space. So it was great for our agency because we got, you know, to learn social on their budgets um, as we helped them roll it out from a communication standpoint. And, and even now to this day, like entertainment is still a strong pillar of what we do as is, as is brand. So over 11 years, we haven't really straight off of that we've we've dug deeper into certain niches. So on the brand side, we can do a lot in tech um, and wellness and health and, and all of that. But, but really the core pillars are the same. So Virgin was your first big client that you ever gotten under your business. Yeah, they were. And we literally signed them within six months of starting the business. So it wow. was a really big account to land. And, 
Um, and I think that just set the course because that then gave social proof, right? So it was, we didn't even have to pitch as much anymore because they're like, oh, they're the agency that works with Virgin. Okay, great. Well, yeah, hired. Um, so, so that was a really, you know, a really good advantage that we had when, when we were starting off. It's always great when you get that first stamp of approval from a major player in the business. It just opens a lot of doors uh, oh, for other accounts. Totally, totally. And I, I had to specify, it's Virgin Radio, so and it was for Canada, okay. so it was uh, it wasn't like the airline or anything. But I did get to re- meet Richard Branson uh, a couple times. And oh, you did, eh? Yeah, I did. So he's uh, he's fantastic. Like, he's the character. Did you oh, get any insights from meeting Richard Branson? Is he as fun as he is in person as as he's portrayed yeah, to he, see him in the book? he's also just like humble in, you know, yeah. he, he's humble, he's approachable. Like you, you don't feel like he's this unreachable person. He's just, he's just a really nice guy who looks at business with a, in, you know, in a very different way. So mm-hmm. um, no, I have nothing but great things to say about him. And the thing that I love about what he does as well is that anyone who works with Virgin well, they almost have this entrepreneurial mindset. So it's like, he fosters that within all the verticals that Virgin has. So even though, you know, you're an employee of Virgin, I mean, we were an employee, I was, I owned an agency, but even the people who are working for the brand, everyone's encouraged to think with an entrepreneurial mindset. So I think that's been the the key to a lot of success. You should go dive a little bit deeper into what do you mean by entrepreneurship mindset? Like, so when I think of that, I think of like the risk that comes with it and like, I guess, trying to innovate. Is that what you kind of mean by that? No, I, I, I look at entrepreneur mindset as like ownership of what you do. So not waiting for someone to give you direction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like being proactive and thinking like, what can I do to improve this versus, you know, the mentality of some people who just, you know, they want to be told what to do. They want to do it. They want feedback and then yeah. they want to go home and they want to be done for the day. So, so to me, it's that proactive, um, always innovating mindset is, is how I look at an entrepreneur mind. Obviously the risk too, but that's different that, you know, it's, it's just, it's the, it's the mindset of how you approach your tasks and that you own it and you, you know, you see it through and push it through to the end. Got so, you. Go, go ahead. Oh, so I was going to say, so from now till then, like from getting Virgin, um, like early, early then, how many clients have you worked with? How many of the size of a Virgin uh, radio, like, and those, you know, Goliaths of brands have you worked with and who was your most favorite brand to work with? Uh, in your 11 year journey? I mean, that's, that's a lot of clients. So over 11 years, um, ha- I mean, we work with a whole host in different sites, like entertainment size. We work mm-hmm. with like E1, which is which is a behemoth as well in the, in the entertainment field. And they release a ton of films. Um, I'd say one of the, like a funny story mm-hmm. uh, was Juan Valdez, which is the coffee company out of Colombia. I don't know if you, if you, well, you probably yeah. know it you'll know it um so we were helping them with the launch and we had to hire a mule because the actual Juan Valdez there is a person like a that they that they have in in Colombia that they you know has hired now and he represents the brand so he was flying up um and we were doing a media tour to launch to launch the coffee and so we had to get a mule which I thought was like a donkey but I realized a mule was actually we had to get an 800 pound animal and bring it in a freight elevator to like the 26th floor of the tower to do radio interviews and then bring it to a TV station. What? <laughs> so wow. We had to be rented this mule and it, it came with a human 
pooper scooper because Jeez. obviously like you know the mules walk and so like <laughs> had this bag and this person that would go behind it and when the tail would come up they would go anyways it was just in terms of like highlights uh, that you're asking of like bigger brands that yeah. would be one that is very forefront of mine and, and the reason it was also so funny is that I didn't realize at the time but I have severe allergies to, to mules. And so I was afraid <laughs> of hives as we were trying to go around it. So by the end of the day, I had to like stand back and had my other team members think because I was like a blotchy mess. But oh yeah. my God. What Anyone who thinks that what we do is glamorous, it's like those are the stories that really say no, not glamorous. Yeah. Because you think about PR, you think about being in an agency and you think about like, it's like this nice posh office with people with their nice notebooks and pens in meetings. And, and then here we are, you're talking about a mule and then talk about like, what a convenient way to find out that you're allergic <laughs> to mules in an office building, not in a farm. I'm allergic to horses. So I should have clocked that I'd be allergic to a mule, but yeah, I put two and two together. Yeah. Dang, man. Well, that's a lesson right there. You know, on this, like the, the grit that it needs to, that you have to have, you know, to be able to accompany a mule to a top floor. That's incredible. Yeah. Okay. So uh, hold on. So I'm I'm curious. So what was the, the, the messaging and the story behind it? It was just having the mule to reinforce the story. Like with an Juan Valdez can't do media interviews without his mule. Like if you look at the packaging, it's Juan and, uh, and the mule. So where whenever he goes on uh, on location, he has a mule with him. Got it. So we didn't got know that it. at the so, time. You got to be got the it. most to accommodate a client. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and then like trying to find a mule to rent, it was yes. <laughs> quite the task. <laughs> um, let me say they're not, they're not cheap. You, you know, I, I had no idea how they're going day rate. They make more than me. So I'm curious, what was like the everyday, um, journey? Like what was, is it, was it, is there, um, a practice that would happen every single day or is it more every day is, is completely different? I mean, like in terms of the tactics that you do for clients, like strategies and pitching and social content and ad campaigns like yeah that's pretty consistent for for what you do but because the industries are so different and the verticals are so different like no day is the same i always say if anyone has you know attention deficit disorder or just like just needs to be constantly stimulated agency is the best place to be because you're never bored you're always learning about new new industries and and, and new companies and new ideas um so it changes every day, but I'd say the mechanics stay the same in terms of what you're actually doing. Gotcha. Gotcha. gotcha so gotcha. a lot of people, when they think about um, PR, even the business of being in PR and digital, um, it, it leaves a lot of questions to the imagination. So uh, going to like the nitty gritty of the business of a PR, can you walk us through like the business model of uh, an agency such as yours uh, from clients uh, when they stick as clients, like what's the billing process like uh, from like point A to point all the way to the end, what's that customer journey like or client journey like for a business like yours? Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll talk about one part of because PR is only one part of our mm-hmm. business, but yeah. do you want me to talk about that versus, okay. So for PR, we tend to work on I'd say 90% of our PR clients are retainer clients. And so what that is, is that we're on for ongoing, we call it storytelling or, or PR comms for them. And so what we do is we create a, a calendar of what 
you know, what the quarter is going to look like or what the six months or the year is going to look like. Um, and then how we're going to create stories each month or each second month to get them out to media. Um, and then what we do is we have like, if we're going to the nitty gritty is so we create a strategy that maps out, let's say a six month term. Um, once we get approval on that strategy, then we just go forth and start pitching. We'll have bi-weekly update calls with clients, letting them know, you know where we're at, the feedback we're getting, how we wanna adjust if we're not getting the traction that we wanna get. Um, obviously, if the client has things come up that's new news and the time they'll say, hey, we're actually, you know, we're launching this or we're partnering with this company. And then we'll weave that into our, our pitch calendars. You know, press releases we don't really use. I mean, we'll, we'll write them because a client wants to see them and they think that that's what PR is. So we'll write a press release so they feel good that they're getting press release but really what we do is we create pitches and our pitches are like one paragraph max two paragraphs that's really specific to the journalists that we're outreaching to and explaining why they would be interested in this client um, and I'd say you know 80% of PR is just creating pitches that are relevant to certain journalists and going out with them um, there's no, it's, it's not like, it's not a huge magic sauce of what's happening behind the magic curtain. It's just a lot of hard work and, um, a lot of effort because you, you know, you get, you send out a hundred pitches individually. You're not just blanketing them out and you get no's and rejections from everyone and you can't get defeated. You have to sit there and say, okay, well, how else can I do this? Or how else can I do that? Um, and, uh, it's just consistency and, and, and uh, follow through. So on average, like what's the, the average conversion rate of like, you send like a hundred emails to a hundred journalists, how, how often do, does that convert usually? Depends how good the story is. So um, really like, you know, you can send hundreds of emails and get no responses if you're just saying, hey, buy this product, no one cares. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so really you have to have an interesting story. And I think, you know, for a conversion rate, like if we're running a campaign, we want to be getting in terms of like feature placements, you want to be getting at least three or four strong, solid features for, for a campaign. And then you can get a bunch of mentions or if you, you know, if some clients that are publicly traded or, or going through a round, they'll want to put it on the wire. So it just gets listing indexes. Um, you can do that if that if that helps for your end goal. I always say like, you know, wire services are, are good for certain optics, but they're really, they're not going to drive conversions of a product or anything like that. They're, they're more of a listing you know, vanity site, which is important um, for certain means, but you always got to go with the objective of the client. Like if they're going through a raise and they need to have profile on, you know, Yahoo Finance or, or, or like Bloomberg, like if they need to have investor listing profile, then yes, you want to put it out on a wire because you want to get indexed. Um, but if you want like something that's going to actually convert and be meaningful to sales or to brand awareness, that's where you want a feature piece. And so um, you might spend more time working with one journalist to create an exclusive content piece that they can then um, share. And that, you know, that might take six weeks but that one piece of content is much more useful to you than a bunch of listing sites. One of the key things that um, is important to your company is storytelling. So I'm curious from working with a client and developing that story, how many different versions of the story have your team and yourself crafted for a particular client and what goes into the element of a great story? I mean, the way you tell a story is everything, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so 
for instance, you've got a microphone sitting there right in front of you. You could, you know, I'm the client that owns this company who's selling this great podcast microphone. Well, I want to send out a press release. We have this great new microphone. It does X, Y, Z with feature, feature, feature. No one cares. Like that's not going to get a coverage. And if a PR agency is going to say, oh yeah, we'll get you coverage. Like they're going to take your money and not get any results. So what you need to do is you need to turn it into a story. So, you know, for instance, for that, for the microphone, like maybe what's more of an interesting piece is we would research what's the history of when was the first microphone ever created and what was the reason it was created for. And so maybe let's say it was created in like 1910 for who knows what war updates. So we find the history of the microphone and we create a pitch around like, did you know that this is what it was? Winston Churchill was the first person that used the microphone to make his address. And then that I, I'm making stuff up here, but you know what I mean? Like we, we dig deeper to find a story and then we say, it's come such a far away, like hundred years later and X company has come out with this. Imagine what Winston Churchill would do with this microphone today. Something like that makes the product all of a sudden be interesting to media versus just trying to say that you launched a product. I know the client always thinks it's the most interesting thing that their product solves all the world's problems, but no one cares. Yeah. How far have you ever dug deep to find the story? I mean, you could have a mundane product or service. Um, how? What's one time you've, you've had the challenge of coming up with a story that is intriguing and captivating? Oh my gosh, but I feel like all the time we have stories that are intriguing. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it depends, like every, we do research like that into everything we do. So like, even if it's um, a film that's on a certain topic, like for right now, we have a film that we're launching about a foursome who play golf together for 50 years in the same tournament. Like just these four guys that have always played in the same tournament for every year for 50 years. Mm -hmm. And so you know, it's a cute film, it's a cute story, but we've had to go into like the history of golf and the, you know, what makes friendships last and why the golf tournament. Like, and so we'll dig into everything for whatever theme it is that that we're that we're going off of. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I just want to see like the um, how you guys uh, wrap your brains about being creative to find a, a unique story to tell for certain projects that might not even have a story to even begin with. Like Got how do you stretch that out to, to make it stand out? And you know so what? We, we yeah, we have something here. Yeah. So we do so we do these really great internal brainstorm sessions. Actually, our one of our director of PR leads them. And she'll go in and she'll do the session and she'll say, Okay, imagine you were Michelle Obama. How and then she like lead a whole brainstorm session through through the eyes of like how you would pitch if you were Michelle Obama. And then it just is a different way of thinking of a product. And then a whole bunch of ideas come up. And honestly, there's probably like a ton of really bad ideas that come, but it, no idea is a bad idea. So we just spitball things, or someone might say something and then that'll it'll spark something else for someone else and they'll say, Well, what about this and what about that? And so it's a really playful session. And actually the team, they love it. It's like the for, and they also, we also do it cross teams too, right? So it's just not the team that's involved with that client. We'll bring in other members of the team because sometimes it's nice to have something that's you're not so familiar with it. Um, but those brainstorming sessions are, are key. And yeah. you can do them with the client and the client sometimes finds them really fun as well. But I think that every agency should be doing them internally re regardless. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, also, like, so you have a digital side of your business as well, right? It's not just strictly PR. Now, with a lot of clients, I'm finding um, that a lot of clients are 
adapting to PR, I mean, to PR through digital or through digital marketing um, to their business, kind of like a new step for them. How do you kind of walk through um, that process with new clients on your end? So moving a PR client to a digital client? Yeah, or um, a net new client into digital that hasn't gone there before. Got it. Um, well, I mean, it's just, it's part of, it's part of the overall com mix, right? So it's, mm. it's taking a client and, you know, you were saying, you were talking a little bit about one of your clients that was featured in, you know, magazines that was so old school, they weren't even, they weren't adapting to different, different mm. new markets and stuff. So it's just mm. educating the client on what they, you know, what the options are and then what's relevant for them. Because I think a big problem is that putting clients on everything when they shouldn't be. Um, and also if they don't have a huge budget, you know, they might be better off investing in content marketing versus paid advertising where they're not going to compete with, you know, competitors who have huge, huge budgets. Yeah. Um, so it's better, you know, I always say like everyone, like everyone thinks that they have to be doing paid media and they have to be on, you know, and I, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't agree with that. I think, you know, if you don't have a strong, a strong budget, you're going to lose the the bid war and you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get the results that you want to see. So in that case, then investing in a really strong content marketing strategy that you own, and then you can drive to in different ways that almost becomes more, more effective. So for each client, it's different based on on their budgets and also what what their product is. Like some clients should only be on Google, you know, only be using Google for paid. They don't really need to use Instagram, Facebook based on the the demographic that they're going after. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. You need to figure out where your audience is hanging out and be there to provide value. A lot of times, you know, it's not necessarily you need to be on. Uh, Facebook ads, you know, even though I have an agency and not, I turn on, turn away a lot of people because uh, it's not right for everybody. 100%. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, good agencies will say no to clients a lot, right? Like you just, you don't, I always say we don't want people's money unless it's going to, unless we know that we're going to be able to get results for them. Um, and it's, you know, otherwise they're going to be miserable. You're going to be miserable trying to explain to them why they're not getting what they think they're going to get. I'd say that's like more than half the battle for us is, is actually educating clients on what they can, ex what they should expect versus what they think they should be expecting. Cause I think everyone's sold that, Oh, if I put ads on Facebook, my sales are going to go through the roof. Um, no, <laughs> it's really, really not the case. I've learned that the hard way too. Yeah. 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 I have too. listen, it's a journey on, on all fronts without yeah. a doubt. But I want to switch gears for a second because um, you've gone through something a lot of entrepreneurs um, have not gone through or have yet to gone through. And that's um, dealing with a, a partnership divorce. You know, um, what happened there um, and what have you learned there that um, we can our audience can take away? Yeah. So so I had a as I said at the beginning, like I started the agency with a, a business partner. Um, and then a few years ago, we just decided that it, you know, after I think it was eight years into the business, it just, you know, she had different things that she wanted to focus on. I had different things that I wanted to focus on. Um, but for, for me, like we had a friendship as well. So it was, as we went through it, we put first and foremost, we're going to do this amicably and we're going to have, you know, we want our friendship to come out intact from it. And so that was kind of our guiding principle for, for everything. Mm -hmm. And because we both set that intention up front, I think it worked 
really well. Also, what we did, which I'm really grateful for, is that we, like I always say, we negotiated the divorce when we were getting married. So we had created, when we first joined forces, we created a list of like, you know, I do this, you do this. If we, if we break up, this is what happens. Here's what happens. And so we almost had a um, a playbook, I guess, of, of what to look at. Now, it cha things changed a lot because that was eight years into the business. Um, but communication is key. And it's and, and the, the other thing I'll advise is like, yes, you have to get a lawyer involved because you need to do everything legally. But lawyers are not there to make the process easy and quick. Lawyers are there to make put the fear of God into you about you getting screwed around by, by the other person when that might not even be the case. So I always say like, if you can mediate your business divorce through a mediator or just through agreed upon terms, you're going to save so much money. You know, I've, I know other uh, friends that have businesses that have had, you know, business divorces with business partners and they've gone through lawyers to do it and cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars in crazy legal bills to get to something that if they would have just sat down at the beginning and said, hey, will we rather have this money in our pocket or will we rather spend this money on, because whatever you're spending is coming out of the business, we spend this money on, on legal fees. Um, so I always say just like, if you, if you can, like, and again, it's dependent upon the relationship, but just communicate and say that you wanna prioritize the relationship and do it with a mediator before you go into legal. Definitely get a lawyer to look over all the documents and make sure you know business changes, bank accounts, all of that stuff is done right. Um, but don't have a negotiator negotiating the terms of your, it's like a divorce too. You, you know, If you can go through mediation, go through mediation. Don't have a lawyer until the very end. And when you uh, went through this process, now like you're like the founder, the owner of the business, um, are there some things that you both had aligned on in the vision and the structure of the company that now you totally have the whole control of it that you've changed since uh, leaving the partnership? Like just something that I've done really differently. Since yeah, like now that's your vision, your company, how are you doing things differently as opposed to when you had a partner now that you are the one who's in charge of it? Yeah, well, I mean, the nature of our business is it doesn't really change too much between PR and social and, and digital. Um, I'd say we definitely expanded more into the entertainment space because that's where my, my background was. So it was just like natural that that's where we would continue to go and grow. Um, in terms of, you know, we had very different management styles with, with staff. So I think a lot of the internal HR stuff is what is what changed as a result. So um, just different protocols, you know, there was a lot more controls prior. And then I, you know, I'm not a very controls and pros and systems and process to the detriment or to the benefit depends on what you want to argue. But um, I released a lot of controls that we had over or over staff and internal processes. I believe that sped up innovation and getting things done. And that, you know, we're talking about that entrepreneurial mindset. Yes. Like I believe that by releasing those controls and changing that we got people thinking for themselves and following through with projects versus looking for approval to, uh, to one of the partners for everything that they did. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we still have ways to, to work on that, but that's one of the biggest things. There's a really great book. I'm sure you've probably talked about it on the podcast before, but um, No Rules Rules, the Reed Hastings Netflix. No. I've been recommended that like twice. I, this is the third time I'm hearing about it. Is it? It's really good. Yeah. And, yeah. And so, Who's you know, above? it's Reed Hastings, the, the founder of Netflix. And so it's called No Rules Rules. It's really good. It's a really easy book to read as well. Um, 
but we'd done so basically what i'd done a version of that not to the extreme that they do it but of like releasing controls on processes and systems and making people take more ownership of what they're doing um and and so that was a bit more of my philosophy and approach to it it's a great book though i highly highly recommend it oh, i'm definitely gonna get that on my kindle today mm-hmm. yeah yeah so I, that's two books i have for me um sell like crazy by sabri subi and uh, this book by Reed Hastings. All right, I'll check that out. And I'll link that in the description below if anyone wants to check it out. Awesome, awesome. So um, working towards wrapping up now, um, you're an ambassador for the United Nations of Women's Entrepreneurship. What does that entail? Can you tell us a little about that, please? Yeah, so so I'll back it up one step. So I belong to this group called EO, which is an entrepreneur's organization. It's a global group around the world. You know, your business is above a certain dollar threshold and you could apply to get in and you get in and it's fantastic um, in terms of, you know, networking and just, you know, peer-to-peer learning and, and all of that. Um, but they have a very strong tie-in with um, with the United Nations and this uh, Women's Entrepreneurship Day. Um, so, it, you know, there's so many things that you can volunteer your time to and get involved with, but this is one of the ones that I got synced up with um, a couple of years ago, and, and it's great. It's, uh, there's, so I focus on the women's entrepreneurship part of it, but there's actually a partnership in terms of they work with on the sustainability goals. Um, there's 17 SDGs, and so there's a lot of different tie-ins, but equality and, um, and female entrepreneurship is, is one of them. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a really great initiative. And I think you know, all the SDGs that the United Nations has put out that they're working on um, are fantastic. And I think if businesses, we, even with our clients, we sometimes look for, you know, how can, you know, without even realizing it, your business probably aligns with one of those 17 goals. And so talking about story ideas, Mm -hmm. we use that as well. Sometimes as we, you know, we'll sit there and we'll pitch, Oh, did you know that this is the SDG goal number six and this client's attached to this here. And um, it's, it's just puts a really beautiful framework on what business I believe should be doing like you're there to make a profit, but you're there to like do good at the same time. And they, one doesn't cancel each other out. Um, in fact, I think, you know, if anything, it helps it. Mm. You've also been uh, featured on, you know, been 40 under 40. Uh, you've won a lot of like, you've gotten a lot of accolades. And looking back from when you started till now and all the accolades you've received, did you ever see it ending up like that? Did you ever see it like when you're starting out that you were going to be this, you know, doing what you're doing now with the UN and top 40 under 40, uh, 100 most powerful women. How does it feel now that you're in this stage of your business and this stage of your life, looking back at the journey? How, like reflect on that, because as an entrepreneur, you dream about these things. You dream about having that prestige and being recognized for the hard work that you've endured over the past decade. Uh, you as an entrepreneur, when you hear that and you when you reflect on that, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, it's a really good question because when I first started, I always thought, oh, that's like the holy grail. You just want those awards. And then mm-hmm. once I get that award, I've made it. And then you get the award and you like feel the exact same way. It's not that like anything changed. changed. Right. Yeah. So um, I, listen, it's not to say I'm not grateful for all them and I'm, and I'm absolutely proud of them. Um, but I don't feel like it's, I feel like if I could go back and tell my younger self that it really, you know, it really doesn't change anything. Like you just, it just, it's, it's something to put on 
LinkedIn or it's something that people introduce you by, which, you know, it can serve a purpose and, and, and for sure. Um, but that's why like the, the UN thing or the, the impact, like when you get to associate more to stuff that's of value and of impact, I think that's where it actually feels different inside. Um, and so I can say that like some of my volunteer work and, and all that, though not like, you know, top hundred most powerful women, which is such a big title, but the actual stuff that makes it like actually feel better with. And I also like say to people is that once you get an award for whatever reason, they just like keep coming. It's like that social proof of virgin thing. It's, it's, yes. it's easier to get it once you get it. Cause people like, don't. so really when you look at people and I'm, and I maybe get like slighted by the community by this, but when you look at people that have a whole list of awards under there, they're like, wow. But really it's like, it, it, it I, I don't see that as being the actual be all end all value to me. It's like, what are you doing to make a difference? Um, what are you, what is, what is your business standing for? What are, what are the people in your business stand for? What are your pro bono stuff? Every agency needs to be having pro bono accounts that they're working on, I believe. Um, and then they need to be doing impact stuff. That's also part of business. Like we turn business down from a lot of sectors that we just don't agree with. So it's, you know, it's, I think you just need, you need to make the stand those, those accolades feel great, but once you achieve them, it's surprising how it doesn't actually mean that much. And again, I'm not taking away from the value. I'm very grateful that I have them, um, but it's not, I wouldn't say to entrepreneurs, yes, you have to achieve this and you get to get that. Like, that's not what's going to make the difference. Let me, let me, uh, you know, just some, uh, some pushback on that, some friendly pushback. Do you feel like you feel like that because now you're on that side and, and you've experienced it as opposed to someone who's never experienced it and now, they're looking at someone like you that I've been, they might have been, they might be marveled at that, about that. Do you feel like there's a different uh, feeling now because you're on the other side now? I think you- that's for everything. Absolutely. That's what I said. Like at the beginning, I was like, when I didn't have them, like, oh, I want that award. I want that award. And I would get that award. I'd be like, I don't feel better. Like, you know, it's just, and it's like that constant, what, what is that award there for? Like, I thought, that it would make me feel a certain way once I got it, like I'd achieved something. Um, But like like it would bring some kind of fulfillment. Yes. Yeah. And so I guess it's like, if you're looking at it as a way to have a good introduction sheet when you're doing a podcast or you're being introduced for a speaking engagement, then yes, the award is fantastic because it puts credibility there and it makes you feel that way. But I guess to, to answer your initial question, like how do I feel how I thought I'd feel before I had the awards mm-hmm. is not how I feel after I have the awards. Mm. That's a big yeah. job because as entrepreneurs, um, we saw one of our close friends, well, I don't say close, but we got to know him over the podcast. He actually just made the Forbes 30 under 30. And um, I was thinking about it as well. I was like, damn, it'll be great to be on that prestigious list, you know, one day. Um, but we've won awards before too. And, we've had conversations where in university there was like this entrepreneur of the year award and I worked towards winning that at the time I was working on a different project and it was like one of my chief aims before leaving university like okay we have to get this because it's just a legendary thing to do there's only a few people who do this and out of like the whole business school but then once we conquered that I woke up the next day and nothing changed it was just you know, you thought the high is going to last forever, but it's so fleeting that it's 15 minutes, 
and then you're back to chasing that next uh that next rush of feeling like you're gra- you, you know it's you're gratified by some award but everything stays the same so i, I can relate to some level uh, what you're saying yeah no that and 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 that's and that's what i mean by it i'm not taking away saying oh i you know i wish i never won any awards like i'm i'm i'm, I'm very grateful but I, what i just say is like for entrepreneurs that are out there striving to get those awards and I wish I would have known that I wasn't going to feel exactly said. I wasn't going to feel different once I got it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just becomes a, an introduction note on your on your CV. So, so now with this uh, new with this perspective and looking at life and business, what are your aims looking forward now as you're growing yourself and you're growing your business? I want to do work like I love working, but I want to do work that it's challenging to me. Like it's, you know, for, for me, I'm always saying that like, that's why I love that the agent speeds perspectives. Like I'm always learning about a different industry. Like I'm going deep into med tech right now with one of our clients. And so I'm feeling challenged to completely, you know, when we started, we were completely out of our comfort zones with it. So it, for me, like, yes, listen, money is, I, I love money. Money is very important. I'm not understood, but it gets to a certain point where like money versus challenge. So I always want the money to be there. Like I'm not going to, you know, but I want to be challenged that I feel like I'm growing or I'm having to look at something in a different way. Um, And I think that for me is like, I just, I want to wake up and enjoy everything I'm doing challenge wise. um, If, if that makes sense, because you get to a point as being an entrepreneur, when your business is at a certain amount and you know, you're very blessed that you can pay yourself a a certain salary that, you know, you were getting, what what's it's like that fulfillment thing like what is it next when money isn't an issue what and i'm not super rich like and that's not what i'm saying but i can get you know my my day-to-day needs are taken care of so what is that next thing um and for me it's like a challenge and working on things that i feel are helping the world or or giving back in some way Um, it's like uh maslow's hierarchy of needs i think the stage you're at right now is the uh fifth step self-actualization it's like you're looking to to uncover more of yourself, to see what you're, you're made of. I, and I mean, that's a whole other podcast and going to <laughs> self actualization that is a topic I love. And, and yeah. absolutely. I think, I think that's what it is. And I think that's, you know, that should be like, as the goals for entrepreneurs, you, you get up there, you want to be at the stage where the pressure of survival is off. And it's now about the enjoyment of creation. Yes. Um, and that's, that's the shift. Yeah, most definitely. And with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, the hustle is what you can't control. So control your grind and control your life. I'm Alex. I'm Owen. Oh, and I'm Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) And that's hustle over everything. Peace. Peace out, guys. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. The conversation continues on our Instagram at 247Hustler. We post very frequently. And be sure to check out our merch at hustleovereverything.co. We have some amazing sweaters, hats, mugs, and a lot more. Lastly, our Proud to Pay program is linked in the description below. Thank you so much for your support. Talk to you next Monday. Peace.